0: I tell you what, uh, I need to talk a little bit about this weekend some more, because uh, we had such a great time going, um, sitting in the Coliseum, this great big arena, filled with men. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't hear anybody say how many people it was, but I, w- they kept saying thousands, and I could see that. I could see where it probably was somewhere in the neighborhood of about five thousand was what I was thinking, but I'm not sure. My, my guesstimation may be wrong in that. But having a coliseum filled with men, praising God, standing up, worshiping freely, singing at the, the top of their lungs, it was an awesome, awesome experience. On top of that, having top-notch speakers that came and challenged us, strengthened us, encouraged us, and convicted us to stand up and be men of God. And uh, that's, that's where I'm at this morning. I was so wound up, I couldn't hardly wait to preach. So y'all, y'all settle in. It may be a little while. Let me tell you some other things that happened on the, on the trip. Somebody went decided that they had to go to uh, a port on. All right. So we pulled up in a parking lot, and there was a port on john there, and there was some business taking, being taken care of. Clay had to go get some tickets or something like that. But somebody decided, said, well, I, I'm going to run to this port-a-john real quick. So they got in the portajohn, and then the driver of the van decided to back up next to the door of the portajohn, and that person couldn't get out when they were done. And he's, well, that person said when he got, he said, "Boy, I'm glad that thing was clean. <laughs> we had we had a good time laughing and joking with one another because we did pick at one another a pretty good bit. Now I was hurt on the trip." Because somebody said, you know, we had such good preaching this weekend, it's hard to go back and listen to Brother Jeff on Sunday. That's the kind of stuff that we we were doing. It was was really fun. We had a great time together. It's great as men to just get together with other men and just kind of let your hair down for a little while. You know, I didn't have to be the preacher, and I was glad of that. I was just one of the guys, and I want to tell you guys how much I appreciated that. We had a wonderful time. I was sitting there. Yes, sir. Yes. Right. Yeah, they gave an invitation. And they said for everybody to have their eyes closed and heads bowed, obviously Mr. David was looking around. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Yes, sir. I'm just joking. Uh, We... uh, but there was, there, there were. They give, they, they gave the invitation. Tim De- Tebow was was preaching, and I mean, he was preaching. And by the way, that's a big old boy. Uh, uh, he walked out there with a tight T-shirt on, and I was, I was thinking, if I was that big, every T-shirt would be tight. <laughs> but he, he preached. And I mean, he preached. And afterwards, he gave an invitation, and he asked everyone to, that, to give their life to the Lord. And there were. According to Mr. David, as he was looking around, a lot of people that had their hands raised. So praise the Lord for that. That there were there were not only were people encouraged and strengthened, but there were people saved, gave their life to the Lord. I was sitting there in our seat. Now, what we were doing is we sat off to the right of the stage, almost straight across from the stage. So I was in the very last seat next to a rail, and I was down close to the floor. So I'm sitting there. And I looked down, and there's a guy sitting on the floor, or in a chair on the floor, right down here. And I looked at him, and I said, you know, he looks familiar. So I, I went on back, worshiping a little bit, and, and then I looked back down on him, and it was Kirk Cameron. He was sitting right there. And y- y'all know who Kirk Cameron is, probably. Anyway, he was, he was one of the speakers. He was the, the last one to speak. Anyway, he was sitting there. And Dr. Fred Luter, uh, the pastor in New Orleans, he was one, at one time the Southern Baptist Convention president. He was preaching. And I mean, he was preaching, all right? So, I mean, we were, we were laughing and we were clapping and we were praising the Lord and amening and everything. And Kirk Cameron, uh, he turned around and looked up at me and was smiling. And I looked at him and I said, you've got to preach after him. <laughs> he said, I know, pray for me. We had a great time. What a wonderful time it was of encouragement, of strengthening. And this morning, folks, we've got a great time in the in the time of our church we've got an opportunity this morning to elect two men to the deaconship and i want you to know this is not something that we took lightly as the deacons and pastor myself we spent months on this didn't we guys we, we met together, we prayed together, we studied the Scripture together, we talked with these men, interviewed them, and all of those things. And we asked God to show us who it was that He wanted for this time for our church. This won't be the last deacon election that we ever have, but this is the one that we're having right now. And this is what the Lord has brought us to. And I praise Him because I believe that He has given us two wonderful men. And the great thing about it, church, is we've got got a lot of men to choose from. That's what's the blessing to me, because I grew up in a church where we had four or five men. And they were the deacons. And everybody else, I mean, it was mostly mothers with their children or wives of the deacons and things like that. But God is raising up a generation of men to stand up and be men of God. And I praise the Lord for that. And we have great men in this church. Not saying that these two guys are the only ones, and I praise the Lord that they're not. But we are blessed to have many men as we look at them, as we come together, as we study together, as we worship together, we grow together. And the hope is that every man in this church would stand up and be a man of God, surrendered to the Lord and following Him in the way that He desires for us to live our lives and be in the church. Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Having such a wonderful time over uh, over the weekend and and then this morning, I was getting all my thoughts together. I knew what I was going to preach about, and, and I was trying to write, get, get an outline down. And I was so excited I couldn't even do it. I just started writing a bunch of stuff down. So if it kind of looks, uh, if it seems like a shotgun blast this morning, it's just coming all out. It's not going to be rifle here, rifle there. It's just going to be shotgun. So hang on. We're going to have a good time together in God's Word this morning. But the, what I seek to do is encourage you. Men especially, as men of God, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as your Savior and Lord, following Him, seeking to be obedient to Him, submitting yourself to Him in a covenant relationship where you have promised Him, I will follow you, Lord, no matter where you go, I am yours, you send me, you take me, you make me whatever it is that you want me to be. And this morning, as we are looking at these things, I want you to be, I want you to be convicted as men of God. And like uh, Tim Tebow said, he was talking about his dad, he says, my dad is my hero, not because of the, you know, his money or these things, he says, because whenever God asks him to do something, he steps forward and tries his very best to do it. Listen, I want to be that guy. I want to be the one when God calls, when God opens a door. I hope that you do too. I, I pray that every man in this church will say, Send me here, God. You've opened up an opportunity. Let me fill it. Allow me the blessing. Allow me the joy of serving here, there, wherever it is, doing whatever it is. I hope to encourage you. I hope to strengthen you, but by all means, challenge you to be the men of God that God has called us to be. Paul, the apostle, is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. These two letters that he wrote to Timothy are really encouraging letters to a young pastor, to someone who is uh, young in the faith. And Paul, being a little more mature, a little more studied, he reaches out to his younger son, his, his brother in Christ, And he seeks to build him up and encourage him and show him the way that he is to go. So these letters are not only for his instruction, but for his encouragement. He says in chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to be faithful. I want you to be strengthened. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to follow God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then I want you to teach others to do the exact same thing. Because it's not going to be easy to follow Christ. It costs you something. Matter of fact, if you've got an easy believism, you don't have belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to cost you something. Your faith will cost you. But guess what? It's all worth it. Every bit of it. So whenever the Lord opens a door, whenever He gives you an opportunity for service, if you say, not right now, not, Lord, I just can't do that right now, that things are not lining up, so I'm going to decline that. You see, we miss the blessing. We miss the opportunity to be obedient to our Lord. We miss all of the joy of following Jesus when we say no to Him. But when we say yes, Glory. When we say yes. Rejoicing. When we say yes, we are fulfilling the will of the Master and the Master is happy who makes us happy and it's all a blessed and wonderful time. Yeah, it may be hard. It probably will be. You know, nothing easy is worth anything. If it don't cost you something, then it ain't worth nothing. Now listen, guys, when we come together, The Scripture tells us that we need to be faithful. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if you will go a little further into the chapter, 2 uh, 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. He's writing to this young man in the faith. He's already a minister. He's already a pastor in, in the church. And he tells him to be diligent to present yourself approved to God A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And he says, Avoid the things that increase to more ungodliness. He says, Seek to center yourself on what God would have you to do. Present yourself to prove to God. Understanding the word, rightly dividing the word, following the word, and stay away from useless things that lead to ungodliness. Now, you see, he's saying there, you've got to get close to God. You've got to do away with the worldly things and and stop focusing on those kinds of things and come to God asking Him what it is that He desires for you and do that. Draw close to Him through His Word. Draw close to Him through prayer, through a personal interaction with God. And then, you will know what the will of the Lord is for you and that will give you the opportunity to walk in that way so that you can be pleasing to your God and King. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, he backs this word up where he says uh, you need to rightly divide the word of truth. And in uh, chapter 3 verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. He said there's a purpose in Bible study. There's a purpose in knowing what the Word says. There's a purpose in understanding the Scriptures so that we... We'll know what to do when the time comes, when the rubber meets the road, when we get put to the test or we have the opportunity to serve, whatever it may be, we will know what it is that we need to do and how we need to apply what talents the Lord has given us to the acts that He wants us to do. He said, all of the Bible, all Scripture is given by God and it is profitable. Every bit of it. That, the man of God, may be complete. Hey, you know what's the worst thing in the world? Putting a jigsaw puzzle together, and you use all the pieces that you've got in the box, and you look and there's some empty spaces. And you're thinking, if you're like me, you got to complete something. You know, I, I can't stand to, to have something half done, you know, uh, I play puzzles on my phone every once in a while. Kind of distract me, kind of, you know, just ease my mind for a few minutes and that sort of thing. So Bridget gets ready to go somewhere, and I'm playing a puzzle. Guess what has to happen? (laughs) I say, hey, you've got to give me a minute. I've got to get done with this puzzle. And that's, that's, you know, that's a simple thing. But think about this. If we don't know, if we don't have all the pieces of the puzzle, how are we going to make it all fit together? Men of God, how are we supposed to represent Him? How are we supposed to lead our family, train our family, and serve God if we don't know what He says for us to do? Guys, we've got to get on the ball. We've got to understand that God calls us to be men of God, and He calls us, He He offers us the equipment that we need to be men of God. And when we don't become men of God, it's not God's fault. It's our negligence that causes us not to be who God calls us to be. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Paul says to Timothy, I charge you, therefore. Hey, now this is serious language, all right? We read through it and we we don't understand how serious it is. This is what Paul is saying. He says, I'm going to hold you accountable for this. I'm going to make sure this happens. Do this with all of your heart. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the Word. Be ready, in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Paul says, this is what you've got to do. You've got to preach the Word. You've got to teach the Word. Use the Word to convince people of the truth. Use the Word to encourage those who need strength. To help heal those who need comfort. But if you don't have the Word, then you can't use the Word the way that God wants you to use it. So Paul says this. All Scripture. And then he says, make sure that you are a worker, rightly dividing the Word of truth. And then, use it for its intended purpose. Going back to 1 Timothy. Starting at the back of the book and working our way toward the front of the book, this is, again, this is a, the first letter that he wrote to Timothy, encouraging him. He says in second, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, But you, O man of God, now think about that for a minute, as Paul is speaking to his uh, young man, this is his protege, his son in the faith, he says, you, O man of God, this is for you, you man of God, flee these things. The things that he was talking about was all kinds of evil. The uh, love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And he's saying, flee these things. Flee ungodly, evil things, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul says, hey guys, you've got to give up the world and you've got to pursue God. Pursue God. There was a, a gentleman that was speaking yesterday morning. His name was Daniel. And he walked out on the stage with his Bible in his mouth because he didn't have any arms. He laid the Bible down on the table and he put his foot up there and he opened the Bible up with his toes and he started preaching. And this is what he said. He was encouraging us. He says, Chase after God. Pursue God until... He's holding you in His arms. Think about that for just a moment. He said, pursue God until He calls you home and gives you a hug, welcoming you into His kingdom. And I thought about, I I considered myself and I said, you know what? I don't know if I've ever pursued God that strongly. Yes, I love the Lord. But would I love him if I didn't have any arms? Would I love him if, I, if, if everything wasn't easy? Would I still be pursuing God? Paul said, Timothy, you man of God, Flee from worldly evils and pursue God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Pursue righteousness, holiness. Be the man that God has made you to be in faith, in love, in godliness, in righteousness, in patience, in gentleness. So that you can fight the good fight. Chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. In that halfway through that verse, he tells Timothy, exercise yourself toward godliness. Exercise yourself toward godliness. I, I heard somebody say a little while back, Brother Jeff needs to get some exercise. <laughs> Brother Jeff needs to, because, you know, I got soft hands, okay? Let me just say it, all right? I don't work like uh, as hard as I used to. So I can't work as long as I used to. So now I was, I was talking about having I was working one day and I worked a couple, three, four hours before lunch, and I had lunch and I laid down and took a nap afterwards because that's what preachers do. All right. So I, I got word that somebody says, Well, Brother Jeff needs to get some exercise. He needs to be more healthy. He needs to be able to, to do those things. But guess what? That Physical exercise. Yes, it benefits our body for a certain time, but what we need to be focused on more so than that is exercising ourselves in godliness. Exercising ourselves toward what God would want us to do and what God would show us and allow us to be a part of. We need to exercise ourselves toward godliness. Chapter 3, verse 15. Paul begins this out and he says this. I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. He says, I'm seeking to tell you how you're supposed to behave in the church. And then he goes on to tell him all of these things. Behave as a man of righteousness. Pursue God. Seek His Word, study His Word so that you will know what it is that God's will is for you. How do we conduct ourselves in the house of God? You know, I've got a confession to make. For many years, I just showed up. For a lot of years, I checked the attendance box. For a lot of years, I wasn't donating anything to the plate because I felt like I couldn't afford it. And I praise the Lord that He has blessed me so, helped me to understand what my part is in His kingdom, what He desires of me, how He would lead me, what He would do if I gave myself to Him. So now, God encourages us, strengthens us, and challenges us. Go back to chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3. I want to start now talking about the things that the deacons and I discussed as we were discussing the deacon election. We were talking about the different nominees and we were studying what God would say to us about these men. What the requirements were. What the characteristics of a deacon should be before they're elected deacon. So we get to chapter 3. Beginning in verse 8. The scripture there says, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. So I want to go back and talk about these qualities, these characteristics, for just a moment. The very first one is reverent. So you know me, I like to look words up, I like to see what other words could be applied in that particular instance, and the word reverent means dignity or of dignity, devout, dutiful, honorable, with integrity, reverent, and then double-tongued. Now, I'm pretty sure I don't have to explain this one to you. You know somebody that's double-tongued if if you've met them, if you've heard them, if you've talked to them. They are artificial, hypocritical. Speaking out of both sides of their mouth is one way to put it. Or in in other words, they will tell one person one thing and they will tell somebody else something different. The scripture goes on and says, not given to much wine. Now, These days, we don't use wine the way that they did back in those days. As a matter of fact, you can ask anyone outside the church if a saved person or a pastor or a deacon is supposed to drink and they will tell you no. Greedy for money. It means inordinately focused on profit having too big of a a focus on monetary things. And then it says, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. I interpreted this. This is my interpretation. That person must, without any exceptions, be saved and serving the Lord. Must be able to lead one to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Must be able to explain and discuss basic doctrine. Now, you don't have to know the whole Bible. You don't have to uh, know everything that's written in the Baptist faith and message. But, you've got a basic understanding of the truth. Holding the faith. And then the scripture says, they need to be tested. And that means to me, a proven body of work over time. Now, going a little further, in verse 13, is for those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. They need to be beyond reproach. And for me, that meant having a good reputation, personally and in business. Good managers of their households. It says husband of one wife also. But let me tell you, we have misinterpreted that for so many years. Yes, it can be applied to a man who has been divorced, and that person can be disqualified, believing or or depending on your belief on that certain instance. Traditionally, in Southern Baptist churches, if you've been divorced, you can't serve. But that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says, husband of one wife. The word divorce was available to Paul when he wrote this, but he didn't use that. So now, without getting into that too far, moving forward. Good managers of the household. How do they treat their wife? How do they treat their kids? How do they treat their finances? And what is important? And lastly, inspiring confidence in those they serve. What do those that they serve say about them? These are the things that we talked about in our deacons meetings when we were searching for and praying about and seeking God's will about the men that we present to you today. And I know, I believe with all of my heart that God gave us these two guys. And I believe with all of my heart they meet every one of these qualifications, have these characteristics, have these qualities about them. And so today, after our invitation, after we close the service, I would ask you to vote as the Lord leads you for these two men. But right now, I want to focus on the invitation for just a moment. Because here's the thing. The truth of the matter is, guys, we've all got a long way to go. None of us are are who we need to be. None of us. We all can look to someone else and we can all look to them and say, they're a much better Christian servant. They're a much better person uh, uh, under God than I am. We've all got a lot of work to do. But here's our opportunity to step up and say, here I am, God. I want to be that man. When times get hard, when things get tough, I want to be the man of God to stand in the situation, to stand in the gap, to accomplish what it is that you want. And guys, I love you, but we've got enough pew sitters. What we need is men willing to stand up and say, Here I am. Use me. My prayer is that that you become that man, the man that God wants you to be, the man that you deserved, no, you don't deserve, the man that that God deserves for you to be for him? Are you willing? Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't met the Lord Jesus Christ, but he impressed upon your heart that that's exactly what needs to happen. You see, unless you're saved, you can't serve him, you can't be happy. As a matter of fact, you are an enemy of God unless you've been saved by him. And this morning is your opportunity to say, I've sinned. And I know that's costing me eternal life with the Lord Jesus. As a matter of fact, it has earned me death. Hell. But if you make Jesus your Lord, if you commit yourself to Him, if you give Him your life and seek to follow Him all of your life, entering into that relational covenant that He has with you, where He gave His life for you so that you can have the life that He has. Then you can be saved. Maybe you're that person this morning. Maybe the Lord has told you that. Maybe you want to come and just say, I need Jesus. And that's all you have to do because He knows your heart. He knows what He's speaking to you and He knows that if you respond, that you are responding to the very thing that He's speaking to you. So during the invitation time, you can come down here and just say, I need Jesus. And when you say, I need Him, He'll save you. This morning, if you will, bow your heads and let's pray. Our God and King, we come to You, Father, because we owe You everything. As You have created us, sustained us, and revealed to us Your love for us, and your way of salvation through Jesus, we ask that you guide us into every step. We pray that we will be obedient, no matter what it is, no matter how hard it is, no matter what is going on or the circumstances, help us to stand strong with you. God, I ask that your will be done during your invitation time. Call those to salvation who need to be saved. Call those to repentance who have Backslid and call those to prayer who need to be prayed. Father, you accomplish your purpose now. In Jesus' name, amen.